you love us and that you are good to us. Please help us to understand what you say, to listen to your word, to follow you, Lord. And we live in a world where, where you are not honored by so many. We live in a world where, where it seems that much is not according to your will. Lord, may we learn more of you today. May we learn what it is to love you. May we learn what it is to be loved by you. Lord, may you encourage us this morning. By your Spirit, speak, I pray. Amen. Right, have you all got blankets and cushions? Because this is a really long reading that we're going to be doing today. Um, In fact, I might just read a few verses before the reading. If you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. And now for today's reading. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's read on a bit. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. We're starting our brand new series today on the Beatitudes. And there's, uh, there's about eight Beatitudes there. So we're going to spend about eight weeks looking through um, what it is that Jesus says. And it's interesting because most of the time, as today, we're going to be our main reading is going to be one verse. One verse. Blessed, said Jesus, are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Or the New Living Translation, blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has some really tough calls in it. This is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus sits down and he preaches for a few chapters. And there's some stuff in there that is really hard. You know, like where Jesus says, if you look at a person wrong, you've committed adultery. Or where he says, if somebody hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek as well. Graham gave a little bit of a, a girly giggle where he heard that. He snuffled slightly. You know what? Things are, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, and I encourage you to do that, there's some stuff in there that just seems too hard to actually do. And some would say, let's just ignore a lot of this because Jesus is, is asking too much. Some say, no, no, you have to live exactly this sort of incredible life where if somebody hits you, you just turn the other cheek every time. 
in order for you to be saved one day. There's people who say that this is the new, this Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' version of giving the law on Mount Sinai. And I want to suggest to you this morning that, that Jesus is describing in his Sermon on the Mount the kind of life that pleases God. If, if you were to live exactly the way that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, God would be smiling down on you. And in fact, we see that in the opening salvo of the sermon here in the Beatitudes, which, which we can also call, um, to coin a phrase that isn't mine, but is rather uh, cheesy, so I like it, the beautiful attitudes of the kingdom. These, these Beatitudes describe the character of those who are the true children of God. Uh, I said there were about eight of them. We're not looking at eight different types of Christians. Such as I could say, right, could you put up your hands if you're poor in spirit? Could you put up your hands if you are mourners? Could Hands up peacemakers. Now, I, I want to suggest instead that, that, that what Jesus is looking at here is, is the eight facets, or eight of the facets of what it is to have Christian character. Uh, we see that the very first beatitude and the last beatitude kind of bracket the whole list. And, and we can see that because they promise the same thing. So if you look at verse 10 and verse 3, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs, verse 3, verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And, and this is a, a well-known device that they used in those days, a literary device, basically Whatever you bracket like that says it's all about the same stuff. This is one unit of thought, and the main point is the kingdom of heaven being theirs. Luther said that Jesus is saying nothing in this sermon about how we become Christians, but only about the works and the fruit that no one can do unless he already is a Christian and in a state of grace. Can somebody tell me what bless means? Let audience participation. What does it mean if I say bless you? God loves you. Make you happy. What is best for you? Anyone else? It certainly doesn't mean as much when I say it. If I say God bless you, that's maybe something different. Uh, our English word bless is derived, if you look it up in the dictionary, from the Latin for to praise. Uh, in the Bible, man can bless God, and God can bless man, and men can bless each other. And sorry for the sexist language, ladies can bless as well. Uh, when, we, when we bless God... And we sing that all the time, don't we? We talked about that last week as well. When we bless God, we are saying, God, you are wonderful. In effect, what we're saying is, God, we approve of you. Not in a condescending, yes, yes, very nice. But in a, God, we approve of you. You are just brilliant. You are deserving of all praise. You, you are fantastic. And when God blesses us, 
It's exactly the same thing. It's God saying, I approve of you. Uh, we can look at this and say, uh, bless is, is this idea of praising, this idea of I give my approval to you. When we say, God bless you, what we're really saying is, may God smile on you. May God approve of you. Quite often we, we jump the fence and we go, and we assume when we say, God bless you, we're saying, may God give you stuff. Isn't that true? You sneeze, you say, God bless you, why? May God stop you dying. The plague. But, but I want to suggest to you that that is, that is exactly jumping the gun because God gives us stuff because he approves of us, because he smiles on us. And when we say, God bless you, what we're really saying is, may God approve of you. May God rejoice in you. May God praise you. You see, this is the same when we say, bless God, bless the Lord, O my soul. We're saying, may my soul praise God. May my soul approve of God from all within me made well up that God is just fantastic. And when God says, I bless you, God is saying, I am approving of you from within me is welling up that, that I love you and I want to show that love. And there can be no higher blessing, no higher approval than that given by God, for this is His universe. He is the one who made us. Can there be anything greater than God looking at us and go, you know what? You make me happy. You make me smile. I approve of you. You know, when Jesus was baptized, the voice from heaven, can you read it out for us, friend? And that is God blessing Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And so here we come with Jesus teaching on the mountain about God blessing us. Who are the sorts of people that God blesses? And, and also, when does he bless us? I want to suggest to us, and we'll look at this in more details in coming weeks, that these blessings are both present and future, we, we experience something of God's joy over our lives now, but, but ultimately one day we will experience that in the fullness. But the first one here, Jesus says, God blesses or God approves or God smiles down and praises those who are poor in spirit or those who are poor and realize their need for him. When, when Jesus speaks about poverty of spirit and I'm going to stick with poor in spirit because that's closer to the Greek and that's what I learned as a kid. So if you'll excuse me doing that. Well, poverty of spirit is, is not about not having enough money. It's, it's not about not having enough of the Holy Spirit. As if the Holy Spirit is a liquid that you dull. It's not like spirits. As if the Holy Spirit is, is something that you can parcel out. The Holy Spirit is a person. If you've got the person, you've got the person. You can't have more of a person. It's not that that Jesus is talking about. And certainly, why would he say, blessed are you if you don't have enough of the Holy Spirit? That's stupid. 
Let's move on from that one. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's not saying that God approves of those who thinks of themselves as zeros. That also doesn't make sense because God was willing to send his only son to die for us and pay that incredible price for us. God doesn't think we're worth nothing. Jesus certainly wouldn't say God approves of you when you think that you're nothing. In fact, I want to suggest that poverty of spirit is the exact opposite of the proud selfishness and self-sufficiency of our world. Tweet, tweet. Our world says, happy or blessed is the one who is always right. Blessed is the one who is always strong. Blessed is the one who rules. Blessed is the one who is satisfied with himself. Blessed is the one who is rich. Blessed is the one who is popular. Jesus comes against that in the very first one. He says, no, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. This is about acknowledging for ourselves that we are spiritually bankrupt. That we are sinful and rebellious that there's nothing within us to make God smile upon us. This is saying that we cannot live up to God's standards. And isn't this interesting though, if, if I'm right there, because what Jesus says is God approves of those who cannot live up to God's standards. God approves of those who cannot live up to his standards. It seems almost backwards. And yet, this is, this is, I think, exactly what God is saying. Isaiah chapter 41 says that it is the poor and needy who seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, for whom God promises to open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys and to make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. God promises blessing to those who have nothing. I think what Jesus is saying here is that God approves of those who know that they are spiritual midgets who need God. Jesus told a story about two people who went into the temple a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee was all, you know, oh, aren't I fantastic? And thank you, God, that I'm so brilliant. And the tax collector came in and he fell to the ground and he was like, God, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus said, told the story and he said, who do you reckon went home right with God? The guy who went and going, God, I fall so short of your standards. Calvin said that he only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. I read someone called Wilkerson who gave us a great list and I want to share it with you. He said, the poor in spirit are the spiritual have-nots. They don't have enough faith. They don't have enough strength. They don't have enough understanding. 
They want to have hope, but all they have is fear. They try to do the the right thing, but they consistently fail. They're needy and they know it. They need God. They're desperate for Him. They are dependent on Him. These are the poor in spirit. These are the people that God turns and says, I approve of you. Now, I'm sure none of those things on that list match up to any of us in this room because we've, I mean, we've, a lot of us, we've been Christians for a while and, and you know what, even if, if not, we, I mean, we've, we've got past that stage, haven't we? We've, we've, we've satisfied ourselves, we've grown up where we are no longer poor in spirit. Maybe we should ask a question as to why being poor in spirit, says Jesus, is actually quite essential. And it's because without being poor in spirit, you don't get the kingdom of God. You don't get the kingdom of God. Our English translations tend to go for the kingdom of heaven is theirs, but, but the Greek is just quite explicit. It's theirs, implied theirs only. Nobody except the poor in spirit get to have the kingdom of God. Salvation is by faith alone but the posture of trust is having a poor spirit. Only the spiritually bankrupt are open to believe and receive Jesus' grace and offer of salvation. And it's always been the case. If you think of, of King David and Gideon and Moses and all these Old Testament people, uh, David, 2 Samuel 7, 18, uh, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? What is my family that you've brought me this far? I believe that's when he was being told that he would have a line forever. And he goes, why me? What about Gideon, that great brave warrior of God? Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. I don't have the strength within me. Moses, the most humble man in the world. What about Psalm 34, 18, which just puts it so well. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now Jesus is not saying that you must have a perfect sense of poverty of spirit to be saved. Um, most of us like to think that we're not all that bad. And some of us might think, you know what, I used to really have a, a, a sense of my desperate need for God, but, but I've, I've grown closer to God and I'm more satisfied in Him. And I, I, look, I, I don't, I, I'm a better person now. I, I'm a better person. I'm not as bad a person as I once was. I'm, I'm a better person. God must smile on me now because, I mean, look at me. Now, I'm so glad you're a better person and I'm sure God's happy about that as well, but... But if we outgrow the first beatitude, if we outgrow blessed are those who are, are poor in spirit, who, who know their need of God, then we have outgrown God. And we won't be with God for all eternity. We won't be with Him in His kingdom. You see, in, instead of outgrowing a sense of 
you know what, I've, I've actually getting there, God. I've, I've, I'm actually getting the energy and the fuel to, to, you know what, be the kind of person you want me to be. If, if we say I'm getting to that point, then, then actually we're not. You see, the more we mature in Christ, the more I believe we will have a more profound sense of our need for him. Jesus in Revelation speaks about the church in Laodicea. And he says to them, hey, you guys had better watch out because, because they were thinking themselves so rich. They think we've got it made. We, we're Christians. We, we've got a great church. We've got a great community. We've got a great fellowship. You know what? We're doing well. We're, we're doing incredible stuff for God. And Jesus said there in Revelation, you guys think you're rich, but actually you don't realize that you're, you're wretched. You're, you're pitiable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. you You're so strong in your riches that you don't need me. And if you say you don't need me, well, if you want to live by yourself, go. That church, for all its claiming to be Christian, had very little of Christ in it. That's why Jesus said, come back. Come back to me now. What do you need to do, having heard this sermon? That's what it all comes down to quite often, isn't it? How do I put this into practice? What do I need to do with this sneak? I wonder, could we say that perhaps Jesus teaching these Beatitudes is teaching a salvation by good works? If you want to see the kingdom, you have to think of yourself as poor. If you want to be comforted, you have to mourn. Um, if you want to inherit the whole earth, and yeah, that's a pretty good thing, I want to inherit the whole earth, um, you better make really careful that you're humble. Um, if you want to be satisfied, go ahead and, and you know what, uh, hunger for justice. Um, if you want to be shown mercy, and boy, I want to be shown mercy, you better be merciful, otherwise, you know what, no mercy for you. Um, if, if you want to see God, and who doesn't want to see God? Well, your heart had better be pure. So you purify your heart, because otherwise you're not going to see God. Um, if you want to be called the children of God, and who doesn't want to be called God's child? Well, then you better actually, says Jesus here, work for peace. Because you know what? If you don't work for peace, God's not going to acknowledge you as his child. And, and uh, if, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, if you want to have it, then you know, just go out there and irritate somebody till they persecute you for doing the right thing. So brothers and sisters, have a fantastic week and um, we'll do God blesses those who mourn next week. Thank you. This is not about salvation by works. And we see that in the very first beatitude because the very first thing Jesus says is God approves of those who are failures. Who don't actually live up to all of this who know that they can't, who are poor in spirit. If the spiritually bank, it is the spiritually bankrupt who will inherit the kingdom of God. If you go home today with five steps on how to be poor in spirit, then I've totally missed the point. And so have you. If these 
eight beatitudes or eight virtues, then you could aspire to them. But as soon as it's something to aspire to, it's back into good works. It's back into self-help mode. You know, the truth is that being poor in spirit is not something you should strive to be. It's just something you should confess. It's just something to confess. Yes, we need to study the Beatitudes, but they, they show us the kind of character that God loves. But, but the characteristics of the Beatitudes cannot be produced by us. They are not self-produced. And we cannot just emulate them. We cannot just learn to be more poor in spirit. We, we cannot just act more poor in spirit. You know what? You can act all poor in spirit to me as much as you like. God's going, yeah, I know what you're doing. This is not stuff we can make happen in ourselves. All of the Beatitudes are the products of a life where the Spirit of God is active. This is the character of God's people. And it becomes the character of God's people as God lives in them and works in them and changes them. Jesus wasn't poor in spirit the way we are. He is God. He alone can read this Sermon on the Mount and go, yep, done that, done that, done that, done that, done that. We can't. And yet Jesus does speak also of being very dependent on the Father. See, he says here, God blesses those who are poor in spirit or poor and, and realize their need for him. Jesus wasn't poor in spirit, but he too realized his need for the Father. Uh, this is, I got again from a guy called Wilkerson. He says here, have a look at these verses. John 15 the Son can do nothing by Himself, says Jesus, only what He sees the Father doing. John eight twenty eight. Jesus says that, that when He speaks, He speaks nothing on His own. He speaks only what the Father has taught Him to speak. John fourteen ten. Jesus says that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me. Jesus' first recorded words as a child, when He gets lost or left behind in the temple and they come back to Him after a few days and He says to them, well, where do you think I would be except in my father's house? His words on the cross before he died, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus wasn't poor in spirit like us, but his attitude was the same. His attitude was one of dependence on God. And if one who is not poor in spirit has to depend on God, is, isn't that supposed to be our attitude if we if we look at ourselves and go what you know what god i cannot live up to your standards i need you i need you god said to jesus this is my son i love him he pleases me so much and he did all of that and jesus says god looks at us and if we look at him with the same attitude of jesus saying i need you father god looks at us and says i approve of that i approve of it when you say that you need me I approve of it when you look at your life and you go, I can't do it on my own. Because you can't. You're not me. You know, many people become Christians and, and carry on living as they always have. Um, 
No repentance. Uh, and, and even people who have been Christians for a while, we, we still have the seed of self-sufficiency. We, we think we, we're okay. We, you know what? We, we might not match all of God's, all of Jesus' requirements. And you know what? But we're, we're doing well on some fronts. I think all of us need to be reminded that we shouldn't aspire to being spiritually poor, but we should recognize it. We need to recognize who we actually are. And we've looked in the Psalms in the last few weeks about how life has cycles. And, and I do think it's true that, that when life goes down are the times when God actually shows a light on the fact that we are spiritually poor. C.S. Lewis is famous saying that pain is God's megaphone to wake a rousing world. To make us realize that we cannot live without God, that we have nothing within us to make Him love us. You know what? Realizing our bankruptcy is realizing and opening up the riches of God's incredible wealth. When we realize that I don't have the words to say, Jesus said the Spirit speaks for us. Romans 8, when I don't know what to pray, the Spirit speaks for us. Paul, that great man, said, you know what? I will revel in my weaknesses because when I am weak, you are strong. He had that, that thorn in his flesh, that, that whatever it was, and, and he said, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God said, no, no, no. I want you to know that it's not your strength, Paul, because Paul, you're a credible guy. You can tick boxes. Paul, before he became a Christian, he ticked 90% of the boxes, 80% maybe. I don't know, a huge percentage. And God said, Paul, I want to bring you back to the fact you need to confess you need me. You can't do it by yourself. There's a, a verse in a hymn. It says this. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for grace. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul as in dirty I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. If you leave here knowing how to do something better, you haven't heard the sermon. The whole point of today's message is confessing again, God, I'm not good enough. And I want to encourage you that, that if you realize that, I don't want you to go home feeling miserable because God, when we say, God, I'm not good enough, God says, you know what? Now you got it. And I will see you in my kingdom from this day for all eternity. Isn't that incredible? Over to you, Anna Marie. There you are.